Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's great. 20 as a radio producer, I would okay. question why you don't have headphones on, but what the fuck do I know? Uh well, um, <laughs> Basically, because you're uh, doing it by sight. Yeah, I'm doing it by sight. Right, uh, okay, there. fair enough. And also, uh, cool. Uh, my, my, yeah, I, I can get them out if you, <laughs> if, if, you if you don't trust me. Um, no, it's offensive to me. Uh, no, no, it's fine. Fine. Yeah, fine. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 125. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, touring, and today, podcasting and radio. Richard Melvin is the founder of Dabster a radio production company based in Edinburgh who produced the largest amount of comedy radio shows outside of London. Given how we just started, I'm over the moon that the audio came out perfect. We talked about comedy tastes, trends, changes in commissioning processes, how to pitch for ideas, what TV channels are and aren't interested in, as well as what Dabster are and aren't interested in working on, and so much more. I think there were some really interesting footnotes, including our thoughts on Louis C.K. and Eddie Murphy's recently re-released, if you like, Netflix special. We could we covered so many things and I felt really excited to be having very open and honest dialogues about the industry with such a key player and an exciting person. So I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of this. Before I hit play, if you're new here, please do not forget to hit that subscribe button. If you're old here, please do consider giving us an honest, ideally positive review on iTunes. And either way, please do join the Facebook group. It's called RC Industry Podcast and it's on Facebook, obviously. But for now, this is Richard Melvin. Right, okay, well, why? I suppose, why did I start Dabster? I started Dabster because I, mainly out of total and utter ignorance of not knowing how hard it would be and how difficult it would be, but I always sort of wanted to start my own production company, and I worked at BBC Radio Scotland, and I, I it, this is from like 2001 until 2006, and I had a good time there, but I kind of got to 2006. I was senior producer of the Fred McCauley show, uh, which was a morning kind of comedy morning daily chat show thing. And I loved that show. I loved working on it. But I could see that changes were coming. And I could also see that in Scotland, there was a lot of people didn't ever leave. You know, they got a job and they stayed in that job. And I, And so I thought, well, if I want to 
you know do more interesting things and different things and have a bit more variety then I'm probably going to need to leave the BBC that's when I went to speak to my boss at the time who was the head of radio at, at BBC Scotland Jeff Szynski and I said I'm thinking about setting up a production company and he said well basically all you need is some headed note, note paper and a business card and all the other kit you need you can just hire as you go so I was like all right fine and and, and they were doing redundancies at the time and I didn't really understand redundancies and I heard there was a union meeting where they were talking about redundancies so I went to the union meeting to find out how I could get redundancy which was not what the union meeting was about it was about how to stop redundancies right. so it was like that was a bit strange so that was why I set it up because I just wanted to do different things I had a few ideas within the BBC and that had been commissioned that I'd made but I didn't then sort of have any ownership of those ideas and you know and I sort of realized that production in a sense was people were producers you know so like if you've got a skill set as a producer you and then there's a program and a format then you could produce any not any producer but a lot of producers could produce that format so me and my team we could produce the great british bake-off you know we could produce um strictly come dancing you know we could produce the news quiz because we've got skills as producers we know how to go about doing that kind of thing but i didn't want to be one of those sort of producers who was given a gig you know i wanted it to be my own gig so that was what i did so that's why i set up dabster and when i set it up i started the company and then realized how the commissioning process worked and realized it was going to be at least two years till i got anything on the radio um so that was a fairly long two years and now that was 13 years ago nearly 14 13 and a half years ago and now where do we stand in the where where in the scottish world i don't really know we make comedy radio shows for bbc radio 4 for bbc radio scotland we make podcasts for various people um including the guardian amnesty international stand comedy club the pleasants i mean all of those we don't we're not at the moment but we have done in the past and we've now started making tv shows um comedy stand-up comedy tv show called the comedy underground so i don't know i think in terms of stand-up comedy i think we're probably the only company in scotland who's making real stand-up comedy stuff i uh, we have a lot of stuff going out on radio 4 and somebody said that we were the biggest producers of network radio comedy outside of london so that seems like one of those things that looks good on your website but doesn't really mean much yeah totally and i mean what's your relationship like with other production companies out here are you do you work with them often is it a competition thing is it a friendly competition thing what's the what's the landscape like for production houses up here well i think like i've always had an attitude that you know collaboration is key you know so up here the 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 disappointment here in scotland is the sort of reduction of opportunities on bbc radio scotland bbc radio scotland have sort of had less and less money and there's been fewer and fewer opportunities so from terms of radio production there's you know it is quite competitive amongst the radio production companies here the comedy unit used to have a radio production department that made shows for radio scotland and and radio 4 but they couldn't sustain that department so that kind of closed down and then there's a there's demas productions but they kind of do a lot more kind of musicy type stuff so we've got a good relationship with them we've tried to get gigs away together and then i mean i guess it's quite competitive but i think because of scale if like we now when we made our tv show i did that i i brought in a tv production company called Beza studio so we've now started working together on bigger projects and trying to upscale things so i think generally it's a good environment here there's sort of 
I think when you look at network stuff, I think that there's enough of it going around, you know, so that there's a, a desire to work together and encourage each other and support each other. With radio stuff, it's a bit more competitive, particularly with Radio Scotland. But I mean, then there's Radio 4. So, you know, there's, I think there's enough, you know, ra- I think there's enough for everyone. But radio is just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, the budgets are going down and down and down. So everybody's kind of, you know, that does get quite competitive. As an outsider, I'm going to call myself an outsider for this because I, I live in London. From my perspective, that's the most interesting part of that is the fact there's less or fewer opportunities on on BBC Radio Scotland because you know we, although we have a BBC Radio London, it's obviously the probably the most competitive one to get onto at any mm-hmm. in any you know part of the country. Whereas you know I think BBC Radio Wales, for example, are doing a lot of stuff uh, to support the Welsh comedy circuit, and so and, and, and same with the Midlands. I've seen you know there's a few shows. I think. Um, uh, Dave, the, the the guy who runs uh, Leicester, Jeff Rowe, has now got like a show on there and like is working on radio stuff there. So it's, it feels like locally, from an outsider point of view, radio is being support or radio is supporting the scene more. But is it you've noticed that it's is it just a it's a budgetary thing then? Is it? Yeah, but I mean, I think in terms of BBC Scotland, there's more opportunities now in Scotland than there ever has been with the launch of this new TV channel. Right. So a lot. I, I just feel like with Radio Scotland, if you go back ten years, there was more stuff was up for grabs for the independent circuit you know now at the, the the comedy that's on BBC Radio Scotland is breaking the news which is on 30 weeks of the year which um, is an in-house production and is a fantastic program and then when it's not on air for the last five years we've made the show that's on on its place so breaking the news is on for 10 weeks and then we make a show for six weeks and then breaking the news for 10 weeks and then we made it so that from our point of view has been great you know because we've done four or five series of a thing called stop the press and now we're just about to do a second series of a thing called the good the bad and the unexpected but there's not been a lot of other comedy opportunities there's been a, a thing called saddled which was a sort of sp- pilot for a sitcom which i think's just been commissioned but it's just because we're going through this period of big change in scotland from the for the bbc and what i mean by that is that there's now there's no longer a head of radio scotland you know like there's just basically a he- there's like bbc scotland is now trying to which i'm sure everywhere's doing but it's like there's a guy there's a head of bbc scotland and then there's like a head of sport and a head of news and a head of comedy and a head of factual and a head of entertainment and a head of live events and they're all looking at platforms you know so social media platform radio platform tv platform so for example our comedy underground tv show was also a podcast and breaking the news which has been a radio show for six seven years the last series was they filmed it and they put it on the new bbc scotland channel so it's i think it's by media or something they're calling it so i think there's still loads of opportunities but in terms of what it used to be like on radio scotland they used to do a commissioning round Mm -hmm. used to be able to get lots of things away and now it just seems that they've got less money in that traditional commissioning sense but i think there's more opportunities generally as program makers in scotland than there ever has been but in london i mean i'm not taking that from being an outsider i mean in london i'm sure bbc london is quite difficult to get onto but i mean 80 percent of everything's made in london so yeah. you know yeah but then there's uh i know for every one show that gets made there's probably a thousand people who like, have tried to pitch for so- i mean you know mm. I, i've I, i've been fairly lucky with pitches and yeah. with having, i mean i don't have an agent or any any sort of team mm. which which uh from when i talk to people uh-huh. you know we've having meetings with the bbc and having we talked about previously before yeah. the time capsule and stuff you know being able to go in and actually have conversations with yeah. them I, I know a lot of people who have sent in emails and sent in things and, and not even her and not her back which yeah. is understandable because the amount they'll be getting they can't reply to everyone but there's a pretty so it's, it's set route of commissioning you of, know so yeah. like and like radio 4 has a, a very set route of you know yeah. the commissioning rounds and 
yeah. having to submit ideas and having to be a, an approved supplier, you know, which mm. I kind of have understood that as going into TV again. You know, and the way I got into doing all that stuff was when I first started, I wasn't an approved supplier because mm. I hadn't didn't have any track record of making shows. So they're not going to give you a bunch of money to make a show if you don't have any track record. So I ended up working with other production companies. Mm. So would go to them another product with an idea and then work with them and then get it commissioned as a co-production and then the next year I could do it on my own so and we're kind of doing that with TV at the moment as well like the TV stuff we're working in conjunction with another company and I would like to keep doing that but ultimately our aim would be to do it on our own you know so the Radio 4 statistic is that they do for the comedy commissioning round they say that they each commissioning round they get because you have to put in your short paragraph first Mm -hmm. they say they get three thousand five hundred ideas pitched to them and then they shortlist 350 and then they commission 35 so that's a one in a thousand chance you know is that right yeah it's still i mean it's still not as high as i think people think it is Uh you know i i I don't know how many performers there are in the country uh on every if you if you took every level but i think people think there's hundreds of thousands of them and i don't think there are because it's you You can work it out because if you look i mean the thing is it's all published you know the bbc stuff so mm. if you go and look at the bbc commissioning website and you go and look at radio 4's commissioning round for mm. last year for the last commissioning round which we're waiting for results for at the moment mm. but if you were to look at that they they say right we are looking for shows in this slot at 11 o'clock we're looking for shows at this slot at 6 30 and we've got and they'll say something like we have 12 half hours at 6 30 and that's all that they're looking for for the yeah, year yeah. you know that's it you know and then at 11 o'clock they might say we've got you know the opportunity for you know 12 new series or something mm. but when you actually sit there and sort of work out what's on offer you know it's tiny what I, what I found really interesting was when I was talking to I think it was Chris Sussman about this um, he was saying the biggest the biggest frustration we have is so say BBC Two they no one no one no one aims for the prime time slot for that which is why we often recommission stuff that's you know good and and we would put it in but it's just we haven't got anything to replace it with and no one's sort of ate it. so like with Mrs Brown's boys for example he's uh, he, he was saying you know a big reason why that aside from its popularity the big reason why that doesn't move is because we don't get many ideas that would rival it or even would even compete with it and so you think if you've not looked if they put something out and they go we're actually looking for something for that time slot and you send something in it's like no it'd be like an afternoon tea thing and they're not looking for that of course they're yeah. not going to get back to you yeah yeah exactly that i mean i think that about all the all every time i think whenever anybody asks me about program making it's like you can have all the best ideas in the world but if they're not looking for it you know yeah, it's like you can know you, you and it's if they're not looking for that sort of thing you know and they're i think they're quite good at giving you that guidance the yeah. commissioners and the good thing about you know the commissioners i think the more your relationship with them develops the better they are at saying no yeah you know and that's all that's half the time 99 out of 100 things go nowhere so yeah. you just want them to say no quickly yes. just take it out the back and shoot it in the head come on <laughs> don't put me through this misery anymore completely yeah. and and uh i think uh, just to qualify what you mean by that to maybe people who haven't bit got a no or even sent something in f- for me i like the fact that the no it goes no but or it goes no however or, or they, and then they qualify it with something else whereas you know I think a lot of people get so like with the BBC competition for example there's an automated no 
email and not many people follow that up by saying can i have a bit of information and then they normally and that normally starts your relationship with them in a weird way where they go oh yeah actually this person's you know taking it seriously <coughs> what, what yeah. competition is that the stand-up the, the, yeah they're, they're, then the, the the new act one they yeah. run yeah because if you email them in at the right time of the year you know when they're not doing all the stuff they will give you feedback or they or they usually give you a bit of feedback and mm. that's quite helpful because it means that you know it could, it could even be something like you emailed number thousand and we have 200 people and we just mm. don't have space for you and yeah. that's good to know yeah, yeah. And, and it's the same thing with I'm not going to bring it up too much but the time capture I was saying with yeah. you before they had too many interview programs yeah yeah absolutely and, and, and they, they've said that for a long time they're not yeah. looking for interview yeah. programs yeah. You know? they were in the last commissioning round yeah. they were looking for oh. a one to one interview programs <laughs> I should have looked that up you know? <laughs> yeah. I didn't bother looking it up because I just yeah. assumed they were going to say no again yeah. um, but so I think that bad. was mostly to do with you know if you read between the lines is you know a, a reduction of budget yeah, because so, they're quite cheap to make. Yeah, cheaper yeah. anyway. Yeah, oh, yeah, by comparison to other yeah. things anyway. Um, so, so I was going to ask how you scout for ideas. Well, well, I mean that's a good question. I mean, scouting for ideas is is one way. Of look. I mean, we're if you think about the size of company that we are, there's only four of us. Most of the idea, to, to be honest, like this is a kind of failing of our company. Most of the ideas that we make are our own idea to a certain extent if somebody comes up to me with an you know but we over time it's taken me a long time to realize this you know over time we've developed a few ideas that we are at a point now where they're getting recommissioned you know so we're working on that stuff ideas that we put into the commissioning round tend to generally be this is this is the thing that i've learned the biggest most important lesson i've learned i think is the fact that a commissioner at a channel or a radio station or a tv station is going to look at you and go are is your company able to deliver this on time and on budget and to the brief so therefore there's no point in a company like mine who has a track record in making stand-up comedy shows for tv and radio pitching a mrs brown's boy style sitcom mm. because they're just going to look at us and go well you're not going to be able to make that you don't have the infrastructure the experience or any of those kind of things so we're not going to give you two hundred fifty thousand pounds an hour to make you know six hours of tv it's just not going to happen so we tend to pitch stuff that the commissioner is going to look at and go yes they that company can deliver that they will deliver it and they know how to you know so that makes it us kind of like really sort of be developing our own stuff you know so sometimes people come to me with an idea and I'll go yeah that's a really good idea let me have a think about it and if there's something I'm trying to think of an example of that but mostly it's stuff where I'll like I'll see somebody so you know the prime example you know of a Radio 4 our first Radio 4 idea was I went to New York to make a show for Radio Scotland mm -hmm. called Dean Friedman's Real American Folk and I was out there with Dean and he had a guy on his show called Latch and I went to see Latch in New York and he was really cool I really liked him and then he came over to the UK because he was touring he was a musician and I saw him twice on his tour of the UK and I thought he was really cool so I chatted to him and I said well, you should come over to the Fringe so I ended up producing a show with him at the Fringe which we put together together you know we wrote it because he was a musician but every time I saw him he was telling funny stories between the songs so I was like well let's work on those funny stories because they're really good and we put together a show that only had four songs in it and the rest was talking and that was called The Day I Went Insane and then we put that together and that then ended up being commissioned by Radio 4 as The Latch Chronicles, right? And that was our first Radio 4 commission. And we ended up doing three series of that. Um, and that was, you know, developing an idea with him, seeing him perform, developing an idea with him. Another example of the same sort of thing is like I started off doing a podcast called the Live at the Stand podcast. Mm -hmm. And it was me presenting it 
bits of stand-up, interviews backstage. It was back in 2009, 2010, when there wasn't that many podcasts. Frankie Boyle was one of our guests, and he said, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he said... Is that what he said? No, 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 he didn't say that. No, he said the festival, um, he goes, I'm not going to do the festival because the festival is just a cunt soup with loads of people who just want to be, want to get on uh, panel shows and be cunts like me. Um, And then... He said that just at the time he stopped doing Mock the Week. Can, and, um, can I just quickly say that, like, when you said cunt soup, you, wa- you were waving so politely. I know, I was waving, really, I was waving really at my dead. window. We're in my living room here in Edinburgh, and two of my kids' friends just walked past. It was a real and I was ju- waving at, like, t- a 12-year-old and an 11-year-old going cunt, cunt soup. soup. It was a yeah. real juxtaposition yeah. for me to watch, and I was like, I really want to laugh yeah. at this, but I don't want to ruin yeah. your flow. But anyway, he said, <laughs> he told that story in the podcast. It got picked up by the Sun newspaper. It was on the mm. front of the Sun. The podcast went nuts. It was at number one in the podcast charts mm-hmm. for, like, two months or something. He ended up getting about five million downloads. But that led us to doing a, a show called where Radio Scotland picked it up and it was at a time when I was working with Sarah Milliken who was a newcomer that year at the Fringe and she hosted the show for me for Radio 4 for Radio Scotland called Sarah at the Stand it was called and then we did three series of that for Radio Scotland and it got picked up by Radio 4 Extra and then we did a show called 4 Extra Stands Up and now we're just doing a series called Fred at the Stand, which is with Fred McCauley, which is on Radio 4, primetime Radio 4, and that all started from that podcast, you know, and that's something that we're about to do a third series of that. So then there's Terry Alderton, you know, who we've done lots of series with, who I saw perform, him and I became very good friends, and then we worked on lots of stuff together, and we've just done 6.30 show on Radio 4 with him, and we're going to be doing another series with him. So those are the ways that I develop ideas, really. Mm. You know, I did a lot of stuff with Julia Sutherland about mental health, comedy and mental health, and we did like seven or eight series of the funny life of feeling kind of funny, these kind of series with her, you know, so, and then the TV show that we've done has been a natural progression of that kind of stand-up stuff. So when it comes to how do you scout for ideas, I, I, I kind of guess it's just when I see somebody perform who I think is a compelling performer. So I really like Janie Godley. So I'm wanting to do more work with Janie Godley. I've done some stuff with Ashley Story, her daughter. You know, it's people like that who I feel I could work with and could work with us and we could come up with something together. I'm not very good if somebody sends me an idea and says, here's an idea. Do you want to make this? It's like, no, I don't want to make this because that back to what I said at the start sort of why I left the BBC I'm not I don't really want to produce and because I think I'm an old-fashioned producer of of being really hands-on and writing and directing and creating and shaping and molding you know so I'm not very good at if somebody comes to me and says here's an idea would you like to make it I'm much better if somebody says I'm a really interesting performer would you like to sit down and see if there's something we could do together Mm. you know that's more where I am so this fringe I'm going to be um going and seeing as much stuff as possible because hopefully we're going to do another series of our stand-up tv show mm-hmm. we had 60 comedians on that for our first stand-up show that was made in scotland for nearly 20 years we're going to do we're doing two episodes of four extra stands up which is the kind of best of the festival stand-up show for radio four extra we're doing two episodes of that um so i just want to see as much stand-up as possible and hope from that something will all come up like the other one being john maloney you know I, I had him as a guest on a podcast and then we put him on four extra stands up and then from that i could see how his head worked and we ended up doing a series called the John Maloney show which we're now series four is just about to start in two weeks I think or a week 7th of August whenever that is quite soon that's quite soon I don't want to time stamp this uh, podcast I, it'll be timeless after Edinburgh. after Edinburgh well it's yeah. it'll be on the iPlayer John Maloney's just been on I'll, I'll, I, as I said everything will be linked in the show <laughs> it'll be linked in the show yeah. so that's Cause, on yeah because uh, I don't do any editing so, in, yeah. in the month of well, August yeah, that's fine no that's fine well the other thing I was going to say was I mean I don't know if I'm talking too much stop me if I am talking no, too no. much I feel I am but I, I, no I was going to say I, I mean I, I 
I should stop mentioning it on the podcast because I, I know it won't be out. I, like my, I've got a plan to start a podcast network essentially because I keep talking to other podcasters who are like, I've, I've reached a level, I've plateaued, I keep getting, you know, maybe get a spike on an episode every now and then, but I, d- I don't know where I go from here. And I'm, I'm with the Acast network, which is great for what they do. And, and I love how, how they do, you know, monetize it and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I don't actually make enough money off of it, but it's great to have something coming in. Yeah. But for me, I want to, I want to do a collaborative uh, podcast network that I'm working on that means that we can share audiences, we can you know share contacts with guests, and and we can kind of build a profile for the for the, let's say half a dozen to start with podcasts, and then bring in more people. You know, sort of like um, the All Things Network in All Comedy, All Things Comedy Network in Bill Burr's thing in America, right, yeah, something yeah. like that, where it's where it's literally you know we know what we're doing. We're not a production house because we're yeah. not you know we're not in, we're individually making the production stuff. Yeah, but we're, but to start off with, we're just doing that. And and everyone that I've spoken to about that, most of the time I get you know when I mention it on this I get two or three emails every time I mention it and someone yeah. will go oh I listen to this then and I'm a bit like yeah. the same as you I'm like uh, um, can we can we chat can we yeah, meet because yeah, yeah. like, you might be great at producing a show but it's like if I'm going to have to work with you or if I'm going to do something with you yeah. it's a bit uh, it's a bit odd it's a bit like that guy I told you I got that email saying oh can you come I want to get an agent this fringe right. I'm a bit like I would. I personally wouldn't approach an agent like that I would yeah. meet them for a drink yeah, see yeah. if I get on with them and then see what they actually do and don't do yeah. and then I'd approach them rather than sort of just randomly emailing yeah. people because it you, you, you know what I mean like it's I, I I'm in this <laughs> I, I say this a lot recently because I'm, I'm about to you know hit nine years into comedy I'm in this for the long run I'm not yeah. going anywhere yeah so you sort of think if you're in this for the long run why would you try and just quickly grab people you know it's it's like it's a long term yeah you know I, I wouldn't have had those meetings last year with the BBC if I hadn't have you know invested yeah. in chatting to them and meeting them and mm-hmm. having coffee with them two years earlier mm-hmm. so and do you how so how often do you gig then now I mean do you gig all every week like yeah every weekend and yeah yeah so you said you just done a Scottish run. Was that with yeah. a Scottish no, that promoter? Was with four different. So Mark Christie was uh, Aberdeen and Peterhead. Right. Um, he runs a lot of the stuff up there. Um, uh, uh, Lewis uh, runs the venue in Dundee that I did, and then the Creef one was the Creef Comedy Festival. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, that's new. I don't know. Yeah. 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 So it's quite a new one. So, so and that was Jim. Oh, his last name's gone from my head, but okay. that, that, I'm sorry, Jim. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, yeah, um, but yeah, so so that's that sort of thing uh, uh, that I do uh, with my own show. So yeah. I did I did 37 previews this year. Wow! Um, so your show's good to go on Friday. It's on. It's on yeah. rails. It's on rails at the moment. Okay. I've got a. I, I keep forgetting middle bits, which is always yeah. my my biggest yeah. problem. So maybe if you're going to come see it, see it. Right. Okay. okay. Uh, but um. But yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. And and um. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I take this festival quite seriously. Yeah. Um, and, and so I want it to be ready by the time I come up here. But also, I do play around with it as much as yeah. I can because I don't want it to just be talking at people. Yeah, you yeah. Know? My my direct John Gordillo's my director. And, oh, and okay. that came out of meeting him a couple of times and, right. you know, be, becoming friendly. And uh, he, he, he gave me... The one bit of advice he said to me was, um, your problem is... <laughs> right. Your problem is, you sound like a comedian. Right. And I was like, I don't think that's a problem. And he was like, No, the problem is, is that you sound funnier when you talk as a person rather yeah. than a comedian. Yeah. A lot of people who try and sound like they hear comedians yeah. and they sound like follow the rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, Your rhythm is when you just talk. Yeah. Is a lot more funny and it's a lot more endearing as a person when you yeah. when you when you're talking as you. So yeah. what I've tried to do in the last thirty seven previews over the last six months is unlearn yeah, my rhythm and learn yeah. a new one. So yeah. so that well, that's the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, that's the like like that's the thing I. D- sort of detest most about <laughs> stand-up is when 
people say things like, oh, I told that joke the other night in Bristol and yeah, it killed. Yeah. Or, you know, oh, somebody, I was talking to somebody in the audience the other day and they said, or, yeah, you know, yeah. and I'm like, well, I want, this to, I want this to feel like this is the first time you've ever said it. Yes. And this, it's only just occurred to you, you know, because I think people still believe that. The yeah, majority yeah. of audiences still believe that. Yeah. You know, the first comedian I really fell in love with was probably in about, I mean, live. Mm. I mean, the first comedian I ever saw live was Bob Monkhouse. And that was in, when I was about 12 um, at the Fairfield Halls in Croydon. But the, the, when I first started coming to see stuff at the festival, I went to see Dennis Leary okay. in the Wildman Room at the Assembly Rooms. And it must have been 91 or something like that. And he was amazing. And it was the No Cure for Cancer show. Mm. And it was this tiny room in Edinburgh that he did. And he was just sitting there smoking all the time. And it was unbelievable. And then he came back the next year and he did a bigger room. And I went to see it. And I was so stunned that it was the same. You know, <laughs> I couldn't believe yeah. that it was like, because back in those days, I had a sort of knack for being able to remember mm. stand up like word for word, you know, before my brain turned to mush. But <laughs> and I could remember it word for word. Yeah. And then I remember sitting there watching it going, this is exactly the mm -hmm. same. Like, I couldn't get over it, you know, yeah. and, and that was suddenly when the spell was broken. Mm. I mean, the same year I went to see Bill Hicks. Oh, yeah. And I saw Bill Hicks at the Spiegel tent in the meadows. And um, I, I mean, I loved it. But I remember very, very much thinking... It's a bit Dennis Leary, you know, like mm. he's a bit close to Dennis Leary and thinking that Bill Hicks had ripped off Dennis Leary. But <laughs> as time told, it was obviously told. the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. But what I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. For me, uh, the the worst, I mean, they say the 40 minute lull, you know, that, 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 yeah. that thing in an hour show, there's that 40 minute lull. And I think the only reason that exists is because you are t talking at an audience. You are not talking yeah. with the audience. Yeah. And um, because, because you know we've all got short attention spans we've all yeah. you know sort of by that point I think everyone's going should I check my phone yeah, yeah, I feel like yeah, I should yeah, check my phone because I haven't checked it in half an hour 40 minutes and and I don't think it's I, and I'm not I, you know I'm not putting down anyone but the shows that I like going to see are the ones that uh, there's a uh, uh, free sant is that the right word yeah. there, there's, that, there's that thing of oh they're, they're not they're, this is for me this is just me and them in the room. Yeah. This is never going to happen again. And and I mean, one of my favorite lines in my current show, uh, which I either do at a person if they look like they're confused or I do it to everyone, is like, a, I know my vibe. It's like I've just discovered my own jokes. And, and it always makes everyone in the room go, oh, that's what he's doing. Like, right, that's, right, that's what right, he's doing. Right, right. Because, because, because I play it like I'm talking it out the whole, right. the whole time. You know, yeah. so, someone came up to me after a preview a few days ago and they said, I don't know why you keep looking up. Like, because I look up a lot. Yeah, as if like I'm not looking at the audience he's like I felt disconnected when you do that and I was like no I'm just remembering where I'm at with it and yeah. then someone else came up behind him and he went oh no I really like that because it felt like you were trying to work out the idea yourself on stage yeah right and, it, and it's and it's stuff like that but I know what you mean at this yeah. festival so many people come with and like Frankie Boyle said people come with a thing and they're like I just want to be on TV I want to yeah. sell this as a yeah, product yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. get it as a Soho thing I want to you know yeah. get my Netflix special and yeah. that's fine if yeah, that's what yeah, you want to yeah. do but the best comedians I've seen are yeah. not the ones that have a Netflix special yeah not putting down Netflix specials no, at all no well I remember seeing Jimmy Carr when he first came here and you know the first year he came like just being an absolute sensation at this mm. fringe you know and I saw the first time I saw him I went to see a show in 2001 called Rubberneckers above the Cafe Royal right and it was Stephen Merchant, Ricky Gervais, Robin Ince, and Jimmy Carr, four of them, mm. doing an hour between them. And Ricky Gervais, it was... It was before the, the Office had been on TV, mm. but The Office was like one of those things that it went on... It went on I'm pretty sure I was away traveling that year, so I'd missed the whole thing. Mm. I came back and I missed Pop Idol and The Office had passed me by. And um, what I remember The Office 
just having no idea what the office was but I had a job at got a job at Radio 4th and um managed to get in to see this show this and and first time I ever saw Ricky Gervais he was doing the character Derek and this was 2001 and then Stephen Merchant was doing stand up and Robin and then Jimmy Carr but Jimmy Carr was clearly the star of those four you know because he was just the funniest he just was absolutely hilarious and um but the office was one of those things that the office went on at like 11 o'clock on a Tuesday night on BBC two people watched it it then won seven BAFTAs and then they repeated it and then everybody watched it mm. so it wasn't actually you're looking at me blankly because I no, forget no, no. how young you are yeah, how fine. old are you uh, well uh, I'm not young but I'm not old let's put so it 2001 yeah, how right. old were you in 2001 I don't uh, that'd have to be a mass question I'm 32 32 how right, old are okay. you okay I'm 45. 45 you're not that much uh, older no, not that we're much in the older. same tick box uh, I don't know now. Forty-five. I think I'm forty-five to fifty-four now. Oh, are you? Yeah. I thought it was thirty to forty-five. Sorry, yeah, my bad. My, I think it's. Uh, I think I don't oh. know. Forty-five. I think I'm in there anyway. It's not that um, head. Yeah. So, but Jimmy Carr, and he was amazing. And everywhere you went, there was Jimmy Carr. You know, at Late and Live, mm. um, every show you saw yeah. Jimmy Carr, Jimmy. And then the next year he came back, and his show was called Barefaced Ambition. Yeah. And that was just he was just like I want a TV show. I just mm. was like straight balls out. I want the best agent going. I want mm. a TV show. You know. And he left the fringe with all of that. Mm. You know. And fair play to him. Yeah, I, I find that I find it really interesting because here's, here's the thing: maybe five people will get a TV thing from this festival, mm. and there's hundred, there's thousands of us mm. doing it. Mm-hmm. So you know, yes, have that ambition if you want it, mm. but there's ways to get that. And mm. I think a lot of people. I mean, I I, got, I won't mention the comedian's name because it's not fair. But I got a text from my friend the other day saying, "I know I've left it late, but are there any press people that I should email to come see my show because I want to get a review?" And I'm like, "Mate, it's the." What's today? It's the 29th. It was the yeah. 27th ish. Yeah. I was like, I could give you my list, but I don't think it's going to help you at this point. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's it's too late in the game. Uh, but, but, and, and this is part of the reason why I started this is because, mm. you know, I realized I don't have an agent. I don't have a mm. review. You know, I've, I've got to learn how this works. And it's probably yeah. the same way you did it, where you, where you sort of not latched on, but you went into and were part of a, another production house to learn it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and, it, and, and that, that to me is really interesting yeah. in the sense that, yeah. you know, well, it's just that's the way of like, I mean, and that's the thing, isn't it? Of like, I think what you're doing is really interesting in that concept of finding an audience, you know, because there are comedians, you know, who, so if we're putting together a show, um, uh, you know, of like people doing 10 minute spots or whatever, you know, coming on and doing a 10 minute, you know, there's certain comedians we would never work with to do that because they've forgotten how to do that. Yeah. And they've got absolutely no need to do mm. that whatsoever. You know, and I think about people like Richard Herring and like Mark Watson, mm. you know, like fantastic comics, yeah. fantastic, but they've built their own audience yeah. and they talk to their audience, yeah. you know. Richard Herring's doing. 450 seat uh, Newtown Theatre with his podcast and it's pretty much all sold out you know um, which is incredible and that's he's found his audience he's worked really hard to do it and he's now making a living a Mm. great living and he's doing it and I've got I've got so much respect for that Mm. you know so much respect for you know Mark Mark Watson as well in the way that he Mm. sort of sort of found his people he speaks to his people you know, Mark Watson doesn't want to go and do fucking twenty minutes at the Glee Club in Birmingham. No. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you no, know. But, but this is—I mean, every every new performer that I mm. talk to, they say to me, you know, oh, what, what's your what's what's a bit of advice? You know, there's all this sort of thing, and I always say, you know, be funny, mm-hmm. find your audience. Mm-hmm. That's your only job, right? If you want to get someone else involved and you want to go on TV and all that stuff, that that complicates it. But if you want to do this job, yeah, all you've got to do is be funny, yeah, and then find an audience for that funny, yeah. And that's and true. after that, it's—I mean. 
everything else is kind of optional. I, yeah, I, totally. Because I, 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 people, people conflate the two now because you do stand-up on TV or you do stand-up yeah. on radio or whatever. Uh-huh. And, I, and obviously those are great outlets for things, but mm. ultimately the job is life. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And doing my experience with the people I work with, having a four-part series on Radio 4 will not change your life in any way, shape, or form. You'll get paid money to do it, yeah, quite right. good yeah, money, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But you, will it bring in more people? But, no, and like the thing is, it's like people say to me, "Go, oh, if I come and do Fred at the Stand on Radio 4, am I burning a bit of material? And absolutely not, because the chances of you being in a comedy club where somebody heard that show... There might be one in ten gigs you do, mm. you might have one person in there who heard the radio show. Mm-hmm. But almost on the radio, TV seems, I think if you're doing live at the Apollo, yeah. then, you know, but that's why you get paid so much to do live yeah. at the Apollo, you know, so. I think it's like, it well, it varies. I think it, it varies d- between, depending on how experienced you are and what have you, but I think yeah. it's from about 15 up to about 30. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, no, you know, it's, it's, if, you've, yeah. if you're, I mean, this is the weird thing is because, you know, from doing this, I talk to, uh, I mean, I, I've, I had a theatre email me before I came up here and said, we love it. Would you like to do live ones? And I was like, I've done a couple of live ones. I've never thought about doing one in a theatre, though. Yeah. And so we've booked one in and we're going to see how it goes. Cool. And now I've had to start talking to guests in a different way, you know, like famous people and say, yeah. how much is it for you to come and do it rather than sort of, yeah. you know, because obviously I've got to sell tickets for that. So, yeah, and yeah. they're going to want money. From, so it's yeah. a whole different dynamic than this when we're just sat yeah. in your living room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, that's really opened my eyes. So I'm thinking like, you know, Herring, Herring's thing is so well-oiled as yeah, a machine. That it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I wonder how much he pays people, to be honest. 250, oh sorry. 250 <laughs> Yeah, it's a flat fee. I don't know if it's gone up or not, but I remember it being uh, 250, because he mentioned it on my podcast. He said right. everyone gets 250 quid. And Which is that, fine, we, you know, that's yeah. fine. Cause, cause they so do you come the on the radio, you come on the radio to do a spot on the radio, that's about what you get paid for doing that Yeah, well. but they, they do it as a, so I mean, he does them in the afternoon on like a yeah. Sunday. So yeah. if you go into London to Leicester Square one, for example, yeah. you do you know, two hours of a record, you know, do yeah. backstage footage and all that sort of stuff because yeah. he does that now. 250 quid and then you go and do a gig. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you could make a really good no- amount yeah. of money in that even if you were doing, you know, a, a, a middle spot somewhere, yeah. you know, you can make it in time. So, it's just interesting. I was going to I was gonna ask your, um, your relationship with the BBC but it sounds like it's been built up over so much time it might be a... Yeah, my relationship with the BBC is really good. I mean, I, I've got, you know, the BBC are a huge important part of our income, mm-hmm. probably 60%. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a relationship with three people at the BBC. Mm. The BBC Radio Scotland, BBC Scotland's TV commissioner and Radio 4 commissioner. And those are the the people that currently, and for the last two or three years, we've been doing work with. Now, I had a very good relationship with the the previous head of Radio Scotland but then he left so you then go back to the beginning and sort of have to start again making a new relationship same with the Caroline Raphael who used to be the commissioning editor for Radio 4 she really helped us when we first started off and then she left but the new commissioner's great but you know it takes time to build that relationship mm. up and that trust and what have you um, so th- so my relationship with the BBC is good I mean I feel that the BBC are doing their very very best in challenging circumstances oh, you yeah. know and i think that they're making the best programs they can and this is this is the people who are in those jobs doing their best work that's it no one's putting anything on that they think is rubbish mm. they're finding <laughs> yeah. the best stuff they can for the budget and mm. time scales available Completely. and i have i've got nothing but respect for that i think that you know the way the machine works is frustrating but i think it's frustrating for everyone i think Mm. that there's sort of a resistance in some cases a resistance resistance to change Mm -hmm. but 
look at what they're having to do their new TV channel in Scotland you know having to master the kind of online world of podcasts mm -hmm. and stuff having to come up with social media content and what have you you know I mean I give you an example for what the BBC is currently up against is last year Dick and Dom came to Edinburgh Festival mm -hmm. yeah I remember that and uh, I managed to get tickets for my kids and their friends and one friend came along and like the kids were like tickets because they're still on CBBC now Dick and Dom right they have like they're still on and um, the show one of the guy a couple of the kids had never heard of them because they didn't really watch CBBC but one of these 11 year olds not only had he never heard of Dick and Dom he had never heard of CBBC really because everything he watches on YouTube so he's I never yeah. never heard of CBBC so the BBC are you know backs yeah. against the wall you know they've never been in this situation before yeah. you know Netflix Amazon Prime yeah. you know no one you know no one predicted the revolution the broadband revolution mm. you know and that's when you just look back to 10 years ago 12 years ago whenever when the BBC were like probably longer actually but we're launching like a news channel a BBC 3 a BBC mm. 4 a CBBC CBBC why mm. you know like no one gives a shit about a TV channel mm. you know we just want it on our iPads and on our screens and on our phones, you know? And I think they're moving more towards that. But in Scotland with this new BBC Scotland channel, I mean, the BBC Scotland channels, you know, it's a great thing for us programme makers. But I mean, a channel. I mean, why didn't we just yeah. get more of a BBC Scotland presence on the iPlayer? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know, you know. But I, maybe that's what they're building up to. Yeah. In terms of content and online content, I find it really interesting that... Uh, it's it's been such a slow adoption for you know like the you know there's the iPlayer and there's 4OD and there's those sorts of things, but I'm I'm I, the the whole element. I mean I suppose because they don't have the rights to some content, so they can't put it online because it wasn't covered when they bought you know the idea. So I get why the thing's taken so long, but given that you know people are humans who work in the office and they obviously you know will have Netflix and they'll have you know they'll want to watch stuff online. But YouTube's been around for for so long that I felt like that was that that built especially when our podcast came out I felt like the building of it would would embed in company you know like companies like the BBC and stuff quicker well I mean I think the iPlayer came about before and certainly in this country before Netflix oh yeah, around, yeah 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 you know yeah, yeah so I think the iPlayer you know I think I don't know I think they've done I mean it's that, they've done well I'm yeah not I think exactly and I think but it's that thing isn't it of, of like the criticism is like you know that's the iPlayer is funded by you know publicly funded mm. so therefore and I don't know what was the upshot of that but like the yeah. technology should be made available to the technology should be made available to ITV and Channel 4 mm. and all that to be able to use the same sort of technology I don't know I don't know what we're talking about anymore. Okay. I've lost track well I was gonna I was gonna ask because uh, I hope it I hope it would lead into this so uh, say you had an idea for a show, mm -hmm. right? So, and you took it to the BBC, and they were like, "Not this year," or whatever, whatever no they gave you. Mm -hmm. Would you ever consider making it as an independent podcast so that you could show them that there's an audience for it? Or well, however, yeah. I mean, I think I, I don't know if we've even talked about this before, but I normally I've had a lot of stuff that got away from the other way around, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. so we've done it as a podcast to demonstrate that it's got. Mm -hmm. So the thing we're making at the moment for the BBC called The Good, The Bad and The Unexpected, which mm -hmm. is a comedy panel show. We started that off as a podcast. And then that meant that we could sort of iron out, because commissioners are so very risk averse, you know. So if you can show 
that you have got an idea that uh, we you know did it in front of a live audience and that it could find that people like it. It's got a format and it's got you know it, it you can find an audience and you've got a much better chance of it being commissioned. Of I've done that with our live at the stand as i talked about earlier the show we make at the moment the good the bad and the unexpected but now i don't know if i would do that so much now because i just think we're much more experienced now so where i I, i'm sort of at this point and i'm not saying this is going to change because in the past we've been at various and this has got nothing to do with anything particularly just at this point in our in the career and the evolution of my company mm-hmm. is that we wouldn't probably do anything for nothing you know so just because we've got a busy enough we're busy enough with the stuff that we've had commissioned but that always changes you know mm-hmm. we've just we've just been on a run like that for about three or four years now mm-hmm. but i can see that changing in the mm-hmm. coming years so if we were in that position then maybe we would go back to making something to sort of prove concept but no and also i've also been like that you know a lot of people talk about podcasts and making podcasts and yes but when not when we've made con- podcasts, we've tended to do, we've tended to make them for somebody, mm-hmm. so therefore get paid to make them. Right. So we were paid by the Guardian to make their Edinburgh Festival coverage. Mm-hmm. We were paid by Amnesty International to make a, a version of the Secret Policeman's Ball mm-hmm. at the Edinburgh Festival um, called the Secret Comedy Podcast. You know, we were paid by the Pleasants to make their comedy podcasts and digital tv uh, pleasant's tv and stuff like that mm-hmm. we were but we worked with the pleasant's to find a sponsor you know but we were getting do you know what i mean so yeah. it's been a while since we've done something for nothing to prove a concept but i think it we've done it before and that has led to us getting stuff commissioned mm-hmm. and i think it's very worthwhile doing yeah. but this kind of thing i mean you, you know your podcast here is interesting because it's an ask the industry podcast so it's an industry facing thing so that's you know the audience you're looking for is people who are in the comedy industry mm. is interesting but i mean i think that you know i can't bring myself to listen to sort of two comedians talking no anymore i, I when there's just too many of them when i started this i got i i, I got Stu around my flat Stu goldsmith yeah. who runs comcom pod yeah and i said to him i i had an idea to start this and I heard the first episode of yours and I was worried that it's going to cross over yeah. and it's going to be a problem. And I didn't want to tread on his toes. He's, he was more established. He still is, you know, more established than me. Yeah. Um, and I said to him, I'd listen to Tim Ferriss's podcast, the, um, uh, the four hour work week guy. And um, I said, I want to do that, but for comedy. And he said, I've got no interest in it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask him about that at all. And he does now, yeah. but not as much, you know, as yeah. I do. And, and also I have, uh, you know, he only invites comedians on. I invite. Yeah. You know, I've got I've got the booker for the Royal Albert Hall on next week. You know, yeah. I've got I've got a diverse range of guests yeah. that are just you know people that I think are interesting. Yeah. And uh, and it, and many, and you say I'm looking for an audience. In many ways, I, I when I started it, I thought no one would be interested in it. Yeah. And I thought no one would care because because I was hanging out with people that were just content with where they were. And they yeah. and they were just sort of floating around on the open circuit in London, yeah. and, uh, and and no disrespect, a couple of them are still there, and they like what they do. They, yeah. They're happy with it. And you're happy with it. You're happy with it. But there was part of me that was like, uh, you know, my long term plan is I want to have an audience. Yeah. And I and I'd love to be able to do at the at the time, uh, and you know, uh, you know, his name is something that we sh- you know sh- maybe shouldn't bring up too much, but Louis C.K. was a big hero of mine, and he was yeah. doing that thing where he was making things and releasing it on his website. Yeah, yeah. And putting it out, and I was, and I, in my mind, I thought that's definitely the way this will go in the future. If you can't get on TV channels, or even if you don't want to have that censorship or that editorial, mm. it, it it will be the way that people will go, and that's. And then I saw Daniel Sloss and. Um, Oh, what's his name? D- uh, d- uh, 
oh, I love his work and I can picture him. Da- uh, da- not Dan Stade. Um, Tom Stade. Tom Stade, yeah. They did that uh, sitcom. Yeah, they put Muff. it online. Imuff, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, whether you like it or not, you know, it, 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 I thought it was the way it would go. And, yeah. I, and I still feel like a lot of people are going to do yeah. it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you find that that's, do you, do you think that's yeah, going to be a threat? Yeah, no, no, I don't think it's a threat. I think everybody, you need to do it, go for yeah. it. But it's that making a living thing. You know, yeah. it's like, you yeah. know, who, how did they make a living out of Muff? You know, I thought it was great. I thought it was really funny. But I think it was funded by Daniel, you know, and so, I think so, yeah. But so, I think he did a Kickstarter for a chunk of it as well. Yeah, so, you know, so, I mean, that's the, you, you, look, I'm all for it. Do it. But, you know, how, you know, how, how are you going to make a living from it? Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, it's really important to do that. Do you still like Louis C.K. now? Where's what, what, where do you stand on that? Mm, well, okay, so I still have a When lot he came to Leeds. I didn't buy right? a ticket. Did you buy a ticket? <laughs> no, I didn't buy no. a ticket. I, I was sent uh, a link by someone when they were still available. Mm. And I, I had no, like, there was no part of the movie. was like, basically, where I'm at with it is, um, I think he's handled it badly. Mm-hmm. I think he hasn't apologized correctly. Mm-hmm. And I, at that time of recording, I don't know what he's going to do in the future. I think him leaking... So I, I saw a Joe, a Joe Rogan podcast mm-hmm. where he talked... He said, I've spoken to Louis. And he says that his side hasn't been heard. And he says that uh, there's no point in him saying his side because people have made up their minds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, A, I think people... I personally would like to hear your side if you think there's another side. Mm-hmm. If you think there is. Mm-hmm. And B... As with anyone in this industry who I have a problem with because of their actions, I think you're entitled to seek work because you're a freelancer and that's the way it works. And it's then up to other people to decide whether they owe you their time and money to buy a ticket. Uh And as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to be one of those that buys a ticket. But if you want to go and see him, I might judge your decision, but I'm I'm not going to, you know, you know, we're all freelancers. So if you, so, you know, you know, there's people, there's people at this festival who I won't work for and won't work with Mm. because they've done stuff in the past that's questionable. Yeah. And, or, or not even questionable, you know, like just outright wrong. Yeah. And I don't think they've shown enough contrition or, or apologised to mm. the people they've done wrong to. Mm. So you know, why are you, were you a fan? Are you? A I was a huge fan. Yeah. 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 Where do you stand on it? Um, it just sort of just feels so let down. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing about it is just gutted, really. You know that he could behave like that, and then, I mean, it's a it, it's. You know, it's like the thing, it's the sort of, I think it's it's funny, you know, listening to what you say about it there, it's an interesting thing. Just, you know, one of my favourite jokes was uh, Norm MacDonald, did you see him talk about Bill, Bill Cosby? Oh, yeah. And he talked about Bill Cosby and he sort of said that everybody was like furious about Bill Cosby because, you know, of the hypocrisy. You know, the hypocrisy, the worst thing about it is the hypocrisy of Bill Cosby. That's the worst thing is the hypocrisy. And you're like, well, and his joke is like, well, surely the worst thing is, like the raping yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's the yeah, joke right yeah, yeah, yeah. and i feel a bit like that with louis ck in the fact that you know it's a lot of like i'm just so disappointed with the way he handled it so disappointed about the fact that he didn't apologize properly so disappointed, you know but it's actually oh, yeah. i'm just disappointed about what he did you know yeah, yeah, like yeah. and that's what and that's what makes then what he says on stage you know when he says those horrible things on stage mm. it sort of felt like a joke now yeah, don't now feel like a joke you know yeah. so it sort of really makes you reevaluate him as a comedian so i don't know i just feel just sad really and it's the same way of like you just go oh shit no you, you know you don't want to you know someone else to go you know mm. so that you can't start liking their stuff anymore but yeah. i tell you what i was with um my friend the other day and um we watched uh Eddie Murphy Delirious mm-hmm. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Have you watched that recently? I haven't seen it, no. That has not stood the test of time. Hasn't it? Oh my God. You should watch it. 
Okay. Just watch it. Like the first five minutes, you will not believe it. The, you, it, the homophobia, like from the get go, you know, yeah. it's just like, wow. And the fact that it's, but it's that thing, like, which I think is an interesting mm. decision of Netflix to just, it's there, right? Boof, yeah. trending now. Eddie Murphy delirious. Yeah. You switch, you press play on that. Mm-hmm. And the first five minutes is you're sitting there mm-hmm. like jaw on the floor yeah, yeah, yeah. of his homophobia that and you're like wow okay so is this is this a thing where we go well it was of its time you know we ju- judge it by of its time so yeah, yeah, yeah. you know back then he didn't know it was wrong so where do you then put that line in you know it's a, it's a fascinating decision that netflix yeah. have made to like open you know boof, there it is yeah. you know in the way that all these kids you know jay lafferty does a really good bit about it um stand-up bit about it but it's the same like my daughter who's now 12 nearly 13 um is you know just watch the whole series of friends mm. you, yeah you're like Ugh. yeah because that's not fully stood up <laughs> Fra- frazier has and if you've seen that yeah. frazier was handled it very well yeah um i i know what you so they've got all louis stuff still up on netflix yeah, as well yeah, which yeah. is a really interesting to see yeah. i mean i i think if you if you put enough clout and enough voices behind it going we're appalled they take it down but you should watch it. Honestly, anyone uh, listening yeah. to this who's got Netflix, watch Eddie Murphy Delirious on Netflix. Yeah. Just watch the first five minutes and then ask yourself if you can ever... Do you want to put it on now? Do you want to do it now? Should we pause it and do it? So, yeah, let's pause it and do okay, it, right? Yeah, and if you're listening it. to this, okay, do the right, same. Get the Netflix. Same. Right, right. Pa- pausing this. While me and Richard go off and watch the first few minutes of Eddie Murphy's Delirious Netflix special, I want to take a minute and tell you that there are a few tickets left for our second festival meet and greet in London. If you're hoping to tour or preview a show, it is an invaluable chance for you to get in front of the people who book festivals from around the country. It's a donation-based event. I'm suggesting £5 and upwards. There is a link in the show notes. Here comes your mid-rollout. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And we're back. 
If you're fed up of getting ads in the middle of the pod, you can get ad-free versions of the show by becoming a Patreon from just $1 an episode. If you think these shows are worth $1 or 80p or more, you can give more than a dollar. Please do consider supporting this show and me to keep it going. You can do it as a one-off payment via PayPal or you can become a regular subscriber via Patreon. Both of these links are in the show notes. I massively appreciate anyone and everyone who does it. Me and Past Richard have now watched the first few minutes of Eddie Murphy's Delirious. There'll be no surprises our response to some of the material, but it does spark some very interesting conversations about Netflix, online content, and how it will live forever. Let's dive back in. Hello. Yeah. We're back. Yeah. Um, Three minutes of Eddie Murphy there. I was tempted to record it on audio, but I think I'd get some sort of strike or whatever, but... Um, yeah, and also you wouldn't want to put that on this. No, no. Well, you, well no, I didn't know you were ahead of time. Yeah. Um, well, like you, well, I mean, you, the only thing you've said so far before we get back into it is you've said it's on the homepage of Netflix. Yeah. Which was the thing that shocked you. I, I even said to you, I was like, it sounds like they've added that laughter because he, he, I can't, I don't want to repeat any of the lines. No, I, you don't. I, but it's like I'm, rampantly I'm, from the outset because I'm worried. The opening the, line, yeah. uh, like homophobic lines. You know, yeah, using the worst words for homosexual people. Yeah, it's not even like, like he's hiding. You the, know, and you like you say, you hope it's sort of building to something. Yeah, that's the one thing know, I was. Hoping and the for. argument is, it's of its time. This is what made him famous. This is what made yeah. him Eddie Murphy. This is why everybody loved Eddie Murphy. I remember seeing the other one, Raw which I think right. came after Delirious yeah. when I was about 13 or 14 and thinking it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Right. Uh, so Is that I must have been... Like, yeah, I can remember one of the... It was He was doing it in LA. The, one of the opening jokes, yeah, was... I can remember it as well. It was about police sirens and they just had people sitting on top of the car going, woo, woo, woo. Oh, that yeah. was the opening joke. And then I can remember. Well, that's it. a lot sillier in like a playful way yeah, than what he's the saying. That, he was no, using, I know, but the, the same, but comparison you know. to that opening joke, that's yeah. at least him playing yeah. with a silliness of it. But with that, I mean, I, yeah, for, for <laughs> it's shocking, isn't it? Don't well, you think it, it's it, shocking? Sh- shocking's the wrong word because shocking implies that like that's the first time I've heard something like that, and it's like and it's yeah. like telling because I've heard homophobic things like that before. It's it, it, what's more. What's making me uncomfortable about it is the fact that... So, I, I, I'm 1986, it was my birth year, and I've never seen that before. I've only seen him in... I've seen him do Donkey and, you know, Shrek, and, you know, like I've seen him do a load but of Beverly films Hills and stuff. Beverly, yeah, I've seen that sort of... So, so, for context, I've never seen that, but I, but I knew he was famous when I first yeah. came in contact with him. And so, it feels odd... Yeah. that that's what made him that's famous. What, you know, that was him at the peak of his powers as well. I mean, as a comedian, the, opening, yeah, yeah. the opening shots of that are him on a private jet arriving at the gig. You know, yeah. it's a sold out massive theatre. Yeah. Him doing his HBO special and like he's already super famous yeah. and that's launching him into his, you know, yeah. movie career and being an absolute A-lister yeah. on every chat show, darling but, of every chat but, show. But, the, the, but that, I get the argument it's of its time. Mm. I understand. I'm not, listen, I'm not arguing. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not saying you're arguing that at yeah. all. I'm saying I get why people argue that. And I understand that, you know, as a society, as a society, we often move our moral goalposts. Yes. And, we also, and we also change language. Like, that's yes. how all languages always evolve. Yes, yes, so, yes. So it's not... Uh, unheard of for someone to change their opinion yes. or for the world... Or, for yes. the, or the, even the for The world society. to change its exactly. opinion. Exactly. Exactly. But, but it's... For you to, okay, he he can say anything in that, like, they've paid to see him, they don't know what they, it's a weird thing about comedy, is you generally pay and you don't know what you're going to see, you just know you're going to see that person, yeah. or you're going to see a theme of a thing, because that show, I don't know what 
the, the, the description of it is mm. you know sometimes you'll go and see a themed show so you'll know roughly yeah, what you're yeah, saying yeah, yeah. but with comedy it's the rare thing with you know with a play you might know the plot even yeah. you know but with comedy you don't so so he can say anything mm. and he's opted to come out and say that and and for an online distributor to 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 plug that as new yeah I know it's crazy I think, I think I think it's you know like Eddie Murphy Delirious if you know comedy you know that's what it was everybody knows that's it. I you heard know, about it I've just never seen it and like yeah. he's just on the most recent Jerry Seinfeld comedians in cars getting oh, coffee yeah, I, I there's an episode exactly. with him yeah. and Jerry obviously knows what he was like they worked mm-hmm. together they did all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. I just suppose for me the thought of it being promoted so heavily by Netflix is an interesting choice and maybe it's not being maybe it's just my algorithms yeah maybe because I watch a lot of stand up actually too well, let me um I'll tell you what, so I'll log in mine a, and see if it comes yeah. up on my... So it's trending we'll do that, your, yeah. Let we, it's trending on yours. I will edit yeah, this podcast like, quite heavily because yeah. there's a lot of pauses <laughs> and moving around. Yeah. So I'm going to log in. So I'm logging on my Netflix on my phone and it's on trending, you're saying. So yeah, here it was we go. on... Emmy, trending now. So I'll show you on my phone. Uh, I've got... Oh, I had see. it on new, like new this week. The, oh, uh, no, that's so him and comedians in cars. cars. Maybe it is your algorithm then because it's not coming up on mine. Uh, that's That's the thing. Maybe if I click comedy... This is going to be a fun edit. Um, yeah. Um, I can't see him on there on mine. That's interesting. So yeah, may- maybe it is. Maybe you just watch a lot of... Because I don't really watch that many specials. Yeah. So maybe if you watch yeah. more specials, it might be on there for you. I watched the first five minutes of lots of Oh, wait. Specials. No, no. Hang on. Here we go. Yeah, uh, oh, no. That's, that's the comedians in cars. Uh, that's um, again. Oh, well. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, the point... No, I can't see it. It's new on Netflix and they're promoting it. That's They that's are definitely promoting it because I, I have seen it come up on yeah, my Netflix, but it's yeah. not on trending yeah, on mine, yeah. so... Um, it's interesting because YouTube censors their trending page. Right. So that's why when you were saying that, I was thinking you were going to mention that because, uh, you know, YouTube, if you if you if your content is not monetizable, they don't use it on the page because what's the point in them getting more views when they're not going to be able to put ads on it? Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Fair so, enough. Yeah. So they're, yeah. it's their business model. It makes mm-hmm, sense. Yeah. But it does mean that if you have a really yeah. interesting, say, conspiracy theory video, yeah, which a fair number of those. Yeah. You, know, yeah. Like, <laughs> you, you can't. You can't. Uh, you can't get it out to anyone except for through Reddit probably right, okay. that's the main thing yeah. that um, yeah that's thrown me for six really I know it's nuts absolutely um, nuts but, but it, uh, as I said to you you know uh, that that brings me on nicely to uh, to I've been I've been asked recently a lot by Scottish people in particular about morals in comedy and about how a lot of people are showing their morals or they're trying to see more uh, I think I think Hannah Gadsby has had like an impact on that in that sort of area and obviously if everything's going to live online I thought we were talking about comedy oh sorry <laughs> Did you not like a... No, I, I thought it was great. I mean, I really enjoyed watching it, <laughs> but it, I mean, it was a spoken word piece. I got, I got as far as when she started to talk about why thought, she doesn't want to do comedy anymore. I thought it was fantastic. And I, I stopped watching because I felt too... I haven't watched the rest of I it. I thought I've it was really good. Time. I thought it was really good, brilliantly observed. And I, like, you know, her experience is horrific. And I thought what she, what she had to say was powerful, mm-hmm. brilliant, meaningful. Not comedy. Couldn't... couldn't I, I was hooked. I watched every minute of it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Absolutely loved it, but it wasn't comedy. Yep. You know, and I'll tell you the story of um, two stories, right? And I'm not going to defend either of these people. Um, but a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, we, I, I sort of produced and directed Terry Alderton's show, and we ended up winning the Malcolm Hardy Award for Comic Innovation that year. We had the comedy judges, it was the year Hannah Gadsby won it, mm-hmm. and we had the comedy judges come in to see Terry's show nine times they came to see it and on the night before the nominations were announced like three of them came Mm. two people who were up from London and then we didn't get nominated for it and that was that right Mm -hmm. and it gave us this sort of feeling of um, 
that we'd lost, you know, which is a horrible feeling because awards are utterly meaningless unless you win it and then yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. most important thing ever. Yeah. But the point is, is it just reminded me of comedy critics, judges of these awards and these kind of things. And I met Jim Davidson a few years ago and Jim Davidson... At the Fringe. At the Fringe. Okay. And he did a full run at the Fringe. Mm-hmm. He was talking about his award you know it's very interesting the way he was talking actually because he has got a reputation for being racist misogynist that kind of thing and um, I was in a radio studio waiting to go on and there was a lot of young new comedians in the play and him and he said told, and it, I t- tell you he was there Lucy Beaumont was there Sean Walsh was there someone else I, th- I don't know I think another Beaumont or it was another Lucy, but I can't remember, but they were there and we were waiting to do, I was producing a show with Christian O'Connell for Five Live and Jim Davidson was a guest and they're all sitting there and you could see everybody was really bristled about the fact mm. that they're in this room with Jim Davidson and it was like, it's just uncomfortable because mm. all the new young comedians, they did because that was a few years ago, so they were, they were new young comedians at the time, didn't quite know where to put themselves mm-hmm. and Jim told us, and I started speaking to him and I said, how's it going? He goes, well, it's fine. He goes, um, he goes, you know, but my audience are just not a fringe audience. You know, the people who come to see Jim Davidson are not people who come see fringe shows. So I'm doing the assembly rooms and I do my show and then on after me is Jason Byrne and Jason Byrne's audience are queuing up to come in as my audience go out mm. and he goes and seeing his audience waiting to go in and seeing my audience waiting to go out is like seeing the Pakistanis and the Indians in the disputed Kashmiri territory everybody did what you just did which was like oh and hearing Jim Davidson say those words you're like oh hang on but then you're like actually that's a very nuanced observation that's not racist in any way shape or form because I, there's I a lot of tension between the pakistanis and the indians in the disputed kashmiri territory i think it again comes down to uh his his intent on that metaphor rather than like what, well, what was his intent i don't well because i assume because i've never met him exactly. that he's racist exactly. i assume that exactly. he's trying to say something exactly. else and there's going to be exactly. something else coming exactly yeah, yeah. and everybody just whoa clenched right me too i mean me too and it was and i was like huh, all right oh god and like i don't like this guy you know mm. i never thought I, I knew i didn't like him and you see everybody mm. in the room did the same thing you know but it wasn't until afterwards that I started thinking about it I was going well why did he say those why did he choose that you know Mm. what was his was he deliberate is he clever enough to be deliberately sort of messing with our expectations of him Mm. you know and then it made me think and this is back to Hannah Gadsby this is what it made me think about about like these awards and these comedy awards Jim Davidson that year was reviewed in the Telegraph or the Guardian I think it was the Guardian and they said um, they said this is exactly what the review said. Jim Davidson's show was designed to crank out punchlines. The audience were left breathless with laughter. At the end, they gave him a standing ovation, at which point I couldn't decide who I hated more, them or him. And the same reviewer gave Hannah Gadsby a review saying, when comedy is this important, the fact it's not funny doesn't matter. And okay. I was like, well, what are we doing here? Yeah, We're not doing it for the people who are choosing awards and who are writing reviews and are being critics i mean what does how does that make you feel uh, i can't work out who i hated more them or him and when comedy is uh, this important the fact it's not funny doesn't matter it reminds me of a conversation i had last year with someone who got annoyed that they 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 had uh, they had a newcomer judge come to see them twice uh-huh. and uh, not as you know not as many but still you know mm. more than once means they're interested yeah and uh and and they and they said I don't know why I haven't been you know I don't know why I haven't been nominated I don't know why they would come twice if they're not going to do it and I said well they've got an agenda 
they've got you know they're doing they're doing what they're doing and it's the same thing with reviewers i think reviewers are competing in a clickbait society Mm -hmm. reviewers ultimately want to discover the next something Mm -hmm. so that so they're kind of looking for that more than they're actually looking for the funniest Mm -hmm. and they're also you know they they want their name on a poster so sometimes they'll give a little snappy line yeah yeah. which means that their name gets out there more which means they become more valuable which means that they get more jobs as a reviewer so so you know they have their own agenda as to why they write things in the way they do in the same way we write things Mm -hmm. in the way we do because you know if you want to say something in a provocative way like he did Uh he's going to get if that had happened now Uh he would get 20 headlines on a newspaper that would talk about his you know thoughts on the the, you know areas in the world and all this sort of stuff so so it makes me it makes and in terms of comedy is what i think you're asking but like in terms of that those reviews i mean you know like if his show was designed to crank out punchlines the audience were left breathless with laughter i said to my friend he got a standing ovation at which point i couldn't work out who i hated more them or him i i had a chat with my friend the other day where i said to him my biggest frustration this year is my show is just funny and he said why does that matter and i said because that's not enough for someone like me to be. Right. You know, I feel like it's got to have a hook. It's got to have a sense. It's got to have something to it. And he was like, but if it's funny, it's going really well. So it, it, it's, it's, it's stuff like that that fucks with your mind as a performer. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Because you go, because, you know, you go, I, I got reviewed as an acquired taste a while ago. Okay. And I'm like, surely every performer is an acquired, acquired taste. taste you know? Absolutely. It just seems weird. I didn't like it at first, but now, yeah. you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's cool. I yeah. take your review board, my baby. I throw it back at yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I so so. The, the, but when the, comedy that, is this important, the fact it's not no, funny that, doesn't that, matter. Well, again, that fucks with you. Where you yeah. go, you go. Okay, well, let's take everyone who's got an inspiring story. And there's a lot of people on this circuit yeah. who who have got a different life experience to me, who have an important message and have an important thing to say. And I'm not discounting it at yeah. all. But I think if you're going to put it in the comedy section, it needs to be funny. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. And, I mean, I thought Hannah Gatsby's show was brilliant. I really was, did, yeah, absolutely yeah. brilliant. But it wasn't comedy. That no. was. I think lots of people think the same. Yeah, and and but but then they said that about Richard Gantz. Richard Gad even said it in his show where he did where he did he said at the end he said my biggest mistake with this was putting it in the comedy section yeah but it was very funny it, yeah it, it depends on how you see it because I, I went and saw it at the Soho with my friend who couldn't right. make it to Edinburgh right. and she cried for most of the show yeah, yeah, she didn't yeah. laugh once yeah. so I, you know again it's subjective because yeah. you know I found some bits funny as well but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't as Jim Davison's would have been punch 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 because yeah, that's yeah, his yeah, style yeah, yeah. And, and that wasn't what Richard was going for with that yeah. show at all um, yeah. he was talking about something very serious and yeah, you know, yeah, so, yeah. so 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 no, I think it was funny. I mean, we just did a Radio a show, Four yeah, show, show with yeah. Richard Gadd. You know, oh, he's very funny, and you know, I thought it was full of jokes. I, I've show. seen him do other stuff, and I think he's very funny. Yeah. But that specific show, I'm saying, I took a friend to. Yeah, and she largely cried yeah, for yeah, it and yeah, told yeah. me afterwards she doesn't remember laughing once. And yeah. I said to her, I didn't hear you laugh once. Yeah. So if we're talking about you yeah, know, yeah, and he won, he won the he he won that award. Yeah, uh, the, so um, did the same in the Edinburgh Comedy. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So so. When you when I think of awards and when I think of reviewers and things, I I have to remember they've got agendas. Yeah. And and something like Richard Gadd's show or Hannah Gadsby's show yeah. could easily make it to Netflix or could easily make it as a radio yeah. show as you've yeah. done and and move a lot easier than yeah. say for example a I, I, imagine imagine oh, a one Richard like, Gadd's show wasn't was different by the way. Uh, yeah, it was a, no, a, but I'm it, saying it, it could have it could have I think he did do it on TV. I think yeah, yeah, I'm saying as I think you'd agree, it definitely could have got gone. Yeah, yeah. So so when when Jim 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 Carrey, Jimmy Carr came up yeah. and was doing that. You know, I have friends who do one-liners now, and it's immensely harder for them now yeah. to be seen as unique or interesting or anything yeah, like that, yeah, even yeah. if they're hilariously funny, yeah. because it's uh, it, it's hard yeah, to break that. T- yeah, Gary yeah. Delaney and yeah, Gary Tim Delaney, Vine. Tim and, Vine and, yeah, exactly. Well, I know, used to do stand-up, you yeah. know, and I retired mm. from doing stand-up because of um, it was a phenomenal lack of demand. 
that made me retire from doing stand-up. <laughs> You'd think uh, I'd stop a lot of others. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but one of the main reasons I stopped for doing stand-up was, you know, I'm a 45-year-old white man with a posh voice who has kids, you know, and I was wearing, you know, a suit jacket and a shirt mm. and talking, and I was fine. I was fine. I got to the point, I uh, got booked to do some big gigs mm. and I did, you know, I was doing... Uh, I got to the stage of doing opening 15s at the weekends mm-hmm. at the stand. Um, that was where I, that's where I worked. It took me about two and a half, three years to get to that point. I was doing opening weekends and I was getting booked to do openings, you know, opening 15s. And um, I got to this point where I was like, nobody needs any more of this because there's so many people who are doing this mm-hmm. better. And I don't have anything particularly to say. And I am always, however, firstly, it's too much like hard work. And I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> and secondly, it was, I've got such respect for the craft, mm-hmm. such respect for the art that you have to work all the time to do it. And I didn't, I wasn't that bothered. And I got away with doing stand up because I looked like a stand up comedian. Mm-hmm. I sounded like a stand up comedian. I had, the rhythm of a stand-up comedian and I talked about things that audiences were very comfortable with like yeah. isn't it my you wouldn't believe what my daughter said this morning and like you know take my wife you know that kind of stuff and people liked it but it was ultimately incredibly boring because there's people who are doing that much 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 better mm. and like I mean every stand-up comedian that you can think of off the telly mm. you know Michael McIntyre Lee Mack mm-hmm. John Bishop you know that's what they do you know yeah, yeah. sit there and do the every man family man stuff mm. you know so that's entirely why I gave up well, this was a debate but same, that's the point with your one-liner friends mm. is like we've got Tim Vine we've got Gary Delaney mm. we've got Jimmy Carr so you need to be fucking good if you're gonna yeah, yeah. go into that marketplace exactly you know? I mean this was this was the debate I had with my director when I first he came and saw me and, I, and he said what do, you, what do you want from me kind of thing and I said I think my biggest problem is there's a lot of me yeah. Like I don't know what I, uh, you know yeah. why I'm unique, and he and he was just like I I go and see a lot of these people invite me to see loads of them and stuff, and and I don't work with everyone, and, yeah. and I want and I want you know he, he gave me like quite a boost about that, and 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 like you said, he, he said here are your problems, and like you said you know if you got a rhythm of a comedian, a lot of people could take a written joke, but you know there's loads mm. of comedians who have jokes written for them and stuff, yeah, yeah. and then they just regurgitate it, and that's yeah. fine, you know yeah, I'm yeah. not dissing people that do that at all if that's what they want to do and that's how they want to do it, that's fine, mm. but. For me, it's, it's it's not interesting. Yeah. And 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 in terms of uh, going back to to, to sort of uh, you know online content and and, yeah. and this sort of thing, stuff lives out there forever now. Yeah. So so if you were doing stand up now, even if you did one gig now, yeah. Somewhere, even on the CCTV at the stand, yeah. there would be a record of it. Yeah. That could go on the internet at some yeah. point and and live forever. And I suppose yeah. going back to maybe the 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 um, question who we work with and if they're questionable. Mm things although that promoter in Leeds made their decision mm. I think they're still gonna, CK. yeah to Lucy K, I think yeah. they're still gonna be out having that thing and and so they, they, they still have a job and they're still gonna have a job because I think that will fade because of the the the, 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 the on uh, the memory of things on the live circuit is a lot less whereas if it's online it can be you know you can watch yeah. it a hundred times and it yeah, will fade yeah, yeah, yeah. so I suppose what my question is how do you you, know, you said like some stuff doesn't get burned when they yeah, do it yeah. on stuff on, on, on radio and things so how do you decide morally when you're working with people or when you're casting for things like what's you know how do you look back in their catalog and be like have they ever made a joke that is questionable or is there you know if that's a good question actually no because i think i think like i don't think you there's like we were watching the eddie murphy thing there and was shocked by the language he was using mm-hmm. right 
and I think like if he was to say stuff like that now on stage, would he get arrested? I mean, is that hate speech? I think I know because I think there's a there's a clause in in hate speech if it's done in like a, a context of a performance. Yeah, for me, like I mean, I just would judge somebody if they're funny. You know, I wouldn't have a problem with stuff that they've said. Lo- I know so many comedians, myself included, when I did it, but so many people who've tried stuff and it's gone wrong, mm. hasn't quite worked. They've not got found the line. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get right to that point and they've just misjudged it mm-hmm. the first couple. Of, you know, and even you think back to jokes, famous comedians now doing jokes like Jimmy Carr, one of his big most famous jokes when he first started basically a rape joke you know and when you think about it now it's like oh I, I, I can remember the joke it was like on the subject of anal sex i always find it's much easier to get forgiveness than permission and that was one of his like really early jokes and it, like at the time it's hilarious i mean the same with frankie boyle like mm-hmm. when he like his jokes back right at the very start were like oh my god you know it's like so shocking mm-hmm. whereas you wouldn't broadcast stuff like that on the radio mm-hmm. obviously but <laughs> so in terms of like the only like i don't have any moral problems with what anybody has to say if they're trying to be funny Mm. if they're trying to make a joke the problem goes when they're getting it wrong consistently getting it wrong mm. you know and even then uh, you know it just is it funny does it work is it good you know mm. then those are the things that are the most interesting things Completely. the problem i've got is if somebody has broken the law you know oh. and that's a total thing just with broadcasting rules on the bbc we can't have somebody who is you know been arrested or as an ongoing case or there's you know something off stage more usually than on stage you mm. know so somebody who's you know so that's where we have problems with people mm. but no i don't have any problems morally with what people are trying to do or trying to say and all i want is a really funny five minute bit you know that's yeah, yeah. what I, that's mostly for the shows we're looking for yeah. is really funny five minute bits you know um, so i think my point about morals you know you ask about that is that i think i'm happy i'm completely understanding of people who try stuff and get it wrong who try comedy and get it wrong i'm not going to judge anybody for having said something on stage that you know has maybe not stood the test of time is maybe really icky is maybe you know as long as they've learned that realized it and grown you know and know the difference between what you can say on tv and radio and what you can't say on tv and radio i mean loads of comics uh, perform on tv and radio who say horrific things you know in their club sets and in even just go back five ten years they've said loads of horrific things Anyway, that's my thought. So morally, I've got no no problem with what... As long as people are trying to be funny, that's the whole yeah, point. Yeah. If they're trying to make a joke, then you can do anything you want. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that whole thing of you don't know, you don't have the right to not be offended. Yes. You know, it's, that's the, the thing. Because I might be completely offended by green microphone cables. You've got a green microphone cable and, you know, maybe my son, you know died when he swallowed a green microphone cable and now i'm sitting here and you bring to my house a green microphone cable like that is the most offensive thing you can do to me you know what the fuck are you thinking but i actually don't have the right to not be offended by a green microphone cable phew yeah thank god for that it didn't happen no that's right Um, it was a purple one (laughs) oh good i'm glad i went with red and green (laughs) yeah um my next questions were going to be on uh, success yes and how you measure success yes because I think I think we've got out of that area of time where it's all about the numbers yeah I think I think there was a time where you know everyone was always, always like oh this got a million downloads or this got 5,000 retweets yeah. or whatever you know like there's still there's still like good measure yeah but I think there are other uh, success measurements and I wondered when you're working with the BBC or when you're working on a podcast when you previously when you've yeah. done them what was your measures of success and maybe if you take like a specific show and say we were aiming for this or long term well, we're aiming for this that's a good question um, I suppose you know like uh, with radio stuff I mean one of the measures of success I suppose would be you know do, do the audience like it you know do people get in touch with us to comment on it do 
Um, does it make people laugh? Um, and with a program, so would you get commissioned for a second series um, would be a measure of success. I mean, generally in the industry, how do you measure success? I think if you set out to be a professional comedian or a professional program maker, then, you know, are you making a living? You know, that it's as simple as that. You know, if you're a stand-up comic, then I think you need to, to be a successful stand-up comic. I think one of the measures of whether you're a successful stand-up comic is if you can do it and make a living from it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's other measures of success of, you know, are you saying something interesting? Are you, you know, you know, staying true to your visions and goals? You know, then you can measure success in those ways. But for us, success, I suppose, is the audience enjoying it, people laughing at it, and us getting the chance to do more of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so we've done a few, we've done plenty of failed pilots, you know, where we've made a pilot and it's gone no further than the pilot, you know. So in some cases you would then ask, has that project been a failure? But maybe not because it's led to the next thing, you know. Um, you learn from it. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's just successes. Are we still getting to do it? Mm. Are we getting asked to do more? Are we still invited to the meetings? Are we still getting programs commissioned? So I suppose, and are we all making a living? And, and I suppose those are the ways of measuring success in one sense. The other sense for me is, are we also staying true to making the programs we wanted to make, what we set out to make? You know, that's like what I said right at the beginning of this is I don't want to just be a producer. You know, I mm -hmm. want to be a program maker that makes programs that I really like and mm -hmm. that with people I really like mm. on ideas that I really believe in and if we're doing that and making a living then I think that's a success I mean we could always be doing more you know and this <laughs> you know everything that you know I think the last program we made is the best program we've ever made and I've thought that for a while mm. you know everything that we do we're trying to get better at you mm. know trying to make it better make it look better sound better be funnier you know mm. so two last questions then before we do the quick fire ones okay. could you run everyone through what I mean obviously there's no average uh, commissioning route yes. or, or how something gets made but like a, a sort of staggered path of yes. how once you've got the idea yes. how long it takes yes. when something gets made yes. you know when, when you get actually paid for your actual work yes. rather than the whole thing so that people know okay. what it's like for an independent because I've done it for in-house when it's like okay. BBC Studios and I'm wondering what the okay. difference between the two is well I'll talk would you like to talk specifically about Radio 4 you, yeah you can okay yeah. so the specific you can even do a show if you want like you okay want, the yeah. Radio 4 commissioning process um, is they do a commissioning round once a year which is their main commissioning round they have a kind of top up round later on in the year and they also have an ad hoc bit where you can you know there's other things but the main thing is is a commissioning round once a year before when they launch their commissioning document which is online everybody can see it they say the sorts of programs they're looking for um, and the sorts of things they're not looking for and then they would have a commissioning briefing that you can go to where the commissioner will talk through that document basically then is that open to everyone it's open to everyone but to you have to be on the approved suppliers list to be able to put an idea in which is why individuals who have ideas need to approach production companies mm -hmm. and then production companies can take those ideas forward mm -hmm. after that you've then got about six weeks to put in your idea in a 250 word paragraph mm -hmm. so whatever the idea is um it, you know you have to write up in 250 words and then you submit that to the website and then you wait from that point about four weeks and then after four weeks they then short they either reject or re-request right and then if you get your idea re-requested that means you've made it onto the shortlist so you might have four things at this point that are on the shortlist now you'll go and have a meeting with the commissioner you'll talk through those four ideas they'll say oh i like it from this angle this angle that kind of stuff and then you've got 
another kind of two or three weeks to put together the idea as like maybe two pages mm -hmm. maybe a sort of sample of script or maybe a sort of sample running order you know and a couple of pages with you know much flesh the idea out then you put that into the the, the website by a deadline and then you wait maybe three months mm -hmm. and then after three months they announce what they're commissioning for the following year so we have just put stuff into the commissioning round in january it was shortlisted at the end of february we then had to put the full idea in by the end of march and then by the end of july they're going to tell you what's being commissioned and that's for the 2021 financial year mm -hmm. so it's for stuff after next april so we'll find out now what we'll be making this time next year when you say they'll let you know, mm -hmm. do you mean they email you or you mean they put a press release out? No, and you have to no, 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 no. They don't put a press release out until everybody's signed the contracts right. and secured the talent and all that stuff. They, yeah, I'll, I'll, everyone will get an email to say the results have been published on this mm -hmm. website called Proteus and you log on to the website to see what the results are. Then after that, they then say, this is the money. Does that suit you? And then you say yes or no. And then you get a contract. Um, and then once you've signed the contract and secured the talent, then they, they might then put you in a press release. But they don't always put everything in a press release. They put some of the, the big things. And then sometimes if you make something that's a success, then you just get it commissioned anyway, recommissioned. Mm -hmm. You know, So we just made a show with Suggs, mm -hmm. uh, with Paul Weller and Boy George and uh, Jazzy B. And um, I think, I don't know if I can say that. But yeah, I think we're going to get, this is going to go out after the summer. Yeah, yeah. We've got our second series of that commission. So we found out about that, sort of out with that. So yeah. So that's the process for Radio 4. TV commissioning is different again because they kind of, it's not, they do have commissioning rounds. Mm -hmm. But um, when we got our TV show commissioned on BBC Scotland, you know, we kind of had a lot of meetings, talked a lot, had to put together a little taste of tape, you know, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And then I ultimately got the thing commissioned. Going back to Radio 4, and you talked about the money, when you sign the contract, you get paid 50% of the money. Right. And then when you finish the program and it's been broadcast, you get the other 50%. Right. So that can sometimes be 14, 15, 16 months between the two payments. So so up until the point of you even finding out you've got the show, you've not got paid for any of no, that nothing, work? No, nothing at all. Right. No, you only get paid for what you get commissioned. Okay. So yeah, nothing at all. So, so if you pitch like 10 shows and that took, you know, yeah. like six months of hard work and whatever, and you get none of it, you've yeah, got no, no money? No, not at okay. all. No, no. I mean, you only get paid for what you get commissioned, yeah. Right. Which is why the in-house BBC team are getting paid every day, aren't they? So, you know, but I think that's fine. That's their, that's their, that's their yeah. job. But, yeah. but, you know, so the budget for a half an hour show on Radio 4 can be 10, 12,000 pounds, you know. So if you get, you know, let's say you, you get 20 half hour shows commissioned mm -hmm. by Radio 4, you know, that's 250,000 pounds worth of money, mm -hmm. you know. So, I mean, it costs a lot of money to make the shows. Of but, yeah. but you know, one of the things I think production companies factor in mm -hmm. is, you know, from that money, you know, there's going to be an element of that that is going to go towards your company's development mm -hmm. costs, you know. And you, you look at every project like that, you know, you take a, you skim a bit of money off each project that goes into the production company for development because yeah my main job in my company is is developing ideas and getting stuff commissioned the rest of the team actually make them you know are the people who are editing and technical and you know that kind of stuff well my, that was going to be my next question is the bbc have a lot of facilities in-house to make shows do you go in and make them there or do you make them here like what's what's how yeah. does an independent production house work that's a good question it depends on the show i mean okay. we it, we 
do most of the stuff we do is in front of a live audience so we hire a space and then we go and record in that space ranging from the stand comedy club the monkey barrel the gilded balloon to bbc's facilities when it comes to stuff we do inside a radio studio then we would hire a studio we've got a couple of a studio we work with in edinburgh mm-hmm. and a studio we work with in glasgow but we wouldn't use bbc facilities but in terms of you know nowadays uh you know what you need to make a radio show i mean you we, you're not far off it here with what we're sat in in my living room but you know we can go into a venue and with two flight cases and two laptops um and make a radio show whereas before you used to have to turn up with a lorry you know to do mm-hmm. that kind of thing so and in terms of being in a the studio then you can hire a studio so as an independent production company i would argue that you don't need that much kit mm-hmm. you just need the idea and once you've got the commission then you would then hire what you need yeah. so we would be available for example if there's a company that said we've got this commission and we need to record this show in front of an audience could you come and record it for us then we could that would be yes we could because we've got that kit to do that you know and then also in the in the kitchen there we've got a full tv studio i mean we do in my office next door one of our our clients is highlands and islands enterprises and we do these live webinars they're called which are like a tv chat show um for the tourist industry so and we have like presenter and two guests and then and it's me and julia who present them together and it's kind of a bit of like a really shit version of the one show but we've got that facility to do live internet broadcasting with like four hd cameras and um and we can broadcast that to anywhere you know well any anywhere online i've forgotten what your question was i just asked how you were uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I don't know. How am I? Um, yeah, well, so the, the you, what, festival hasn't started, so I'm assuming you're fine. Yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, we got quite an easy festival this year, so oh, okay. it's not too stressful. Uh, now, now you're rubbing it in. I've got a stressful. Yeah, you've got a stressful <laughs> oh, no, one. Yeah. I know. I know. You got it all to yeah. come. You'll uh, be fine, though. You've done fun. this before. Yeah, this, yeah. For full for rodeo on this. So yeah. It's a sick festival for solo show. For so solo show. Um, well, I'll, if anyone's listening, I'll leave links to the equipment I use, so that if you want to get yes. a copy of it, feel free. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all what I use. I think fairly expensive. Not, um, the, the stuff I would say to anybody listening to this who wants to get something onto TV or radio who's an individual, you know, an individual comedian, an individual writer, an individual is, you know, find a production company mm-hmm. who makes the sort of stuff you like mm-hmm. and get in touch with them. Listen to stuff on Radio 4, watch stuff on TV, see the name of the company at the end. Mm-hmm. You can always find that person and get in touch with them. And you might have to get in touch with them a number of times till they get back <laughs> to you, you know, but if you've got, if it's a nice idea, you know, or invite you like, you know, the way you go about it, Simon, is fantastic, you know, get to know people, invite them along to stuff, you know, and um, and I'm sure that's the way. But just from an, from an individual person's point of view is, you know, just get in touch with a company that's making stuff. Mm. you know and that's the best way um and then from a production company point of view is like all of us there's enough work out there mm. there's so much work out there there's so many channels there's so many outlets there's so many things it's just you know collaborate collaborate with other companies and yeah. and collaborate and you know grow and learn from each other i think that's mm. the way forward and i'm a, i'm 45 years old but i think i'm an old dinosaur now and there's probably 10 years left of this commissioning model mm. the way it works for channels you know and i'm sort of thinking i don't want to go down the route of making stuff that's square and subtitled than last 90 <laughs> seconds I'm, i just yeah uh i don't i'm not gonna put words in your mouth but i will add, I, i'm gonna say that what i've learned from this podcast and what i've learned from actually just okay. going for a coffee with industry people just, just to chat with them not even like i haven't got anything i need to make right now i just want to chat with them is mostly money at a certain point is not a motivator yeah it's who you're working with yeah so you know 
that's the reason why I like to chat to people and yeah. meet with people and actually not at like an event you know where there's like hundreds of people and we're all trying to work out you know it's weird yeah. like like this or just meeting yeah. them at the festival and, yeah. and taking a minute to actually get to know them because for me it's just like you know like you said what's the point in email even if it was the best idea in the world yeah. if you don't like the person or you don't want to work with them yeah. it's not or it's not at the right time I mean for mm. me it's like we are so busy making programs mm. most of the time. And then when it comes to commissioning rounds, it's quite often they're like, shit, we've got three weeks. What mm. was it? Hang on, where's that idea? You look through yeah. stuff and it's so often it's down to timing, you know? You know, that's it. It's luck. It was so much of it's luck. But also for us now, like I said before, for us now, it's, you know, we're just trying to make the programs that we've already got, the people that are already in our kind of, you know, John Maloney, Fred McCauley, Julia Sutherland, Joe Caulfield, Janie Godley, Terry Alderton. It's like just trying to get them to the next stage with us mm -hmm. and that's a full enough full-time enough job full as it is <laughs> yeah um these are the last quick fire questions yep. um so quick fire for me but you okay as, as you like um who was the first person in the industry to believe in you keith bunker um uh well that's an interesting question Keith Bunker, when I was set up my independent production company, Jeff Zazinski, because he gave me my job at BBC Radio Scotland and said, he was the guy who said, it's just all you need is a business card, headed notepad and a bit of brass neck and some good ideas. So, And he gave me my job at the BBC, which was key. And before that, a girl called Marsha Shandor, who did a podcast called Marsha Meets, and she now lives out in uh, Canada. She gave me my very first job as a volunteer on Radio 4. So Marsha, Jeff Zazinski and Keith Bunker those three people they, they got you here they got me here okay. absolutely what is an unpopular opinion you have about the comedy industry the unpopular opinion I have about the comedy industry is that 95% of people doing stand-up comedy are absolutely rubbish and should give up <laughs> And they are self-indulged, narcissistic. Them, oh, yeah. No, no, <laughs> self-indulged, narcissistic people who don't work hard enough. They're in it for drinking booze and um, uh, the lifestyle. And most of them, most stand-up comedians I see are terrible. And I think they should stop doing it. Put us all out of our misery. But the 5%, brilliant, life-changing. You know, they can, you know, change the opinion of a country. Mm. And that's, you know are deep thinkers and philosophers um, but the rest of them there's just too many comedians man it's just yeah. too many comedians and they should, most of them just stop it please stop it and audiences should stop encouraging them I'll tell you an another opinion I have that's very unpopular is just because you can make an audience laugh doesn't mean you're a good a comedian, comedian yes yep. and I very I much that believe that and I've, argu yep. I've had arguments with people about that a lot you know I mean, I think it's if you're booked to play a club at a weekend, mm. your job is to make that audience yep. laugh, right? And if you're good at making that audience laugh, then good on you. But it doesn't mean you're a good comedian. No. You know, I've seen so many people, you know, you've seen it yourself. Combears, oh, unfold your arms, you can't clap, you've got your arms folded. Are you in show business? No, take your feet off my stage. Well, look at this. It's like, we're looking at a really ugly boy band. Oh, mm. what is it, you two? Go dressed to Brokeback Mountain. Blah. You know, and the audience are ending themselves laughing, you mm. know. But these are terrible, terrible, terrible comedians. Okay. What's the deal with Ryanair? Hey, it's like a boss with wings. Oh. <laughs> you know just stop it now so those are that I've got many more unpopular opinions but I'll probably stop there that's okay we can talk about them another time <laughs> um, uh, what is the uh, biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it uh, gosh that is another good question um, so I save it till the end yeah yeah the biggest mistake I've ever made it depends really I mean I mean I've made some errors of judgement you know where which have cost me a lot of money but I've overcome that with sort of force of will and sort of keeping going you know like I've spent a lot of money on you know like I so I've certainly had a few financial missteps where I've put shows on at the fringe last year 
we put a show on. I don't think Terry would mind me talking about this. I put the we put the Terry Alderton show on the year before. We'd done the Pleasance Cabaret Bar and we just busked it really. And the next year, and we won an award and we got five star reviews and it went really well. It was amazing. And then we wrote a much better show and we came back and I was like, right, let's go for it. So we hired the best promoter you could imagine. We hired one of the most bulldogish PR people you could imagine. We got all the big posters all around town and we did a three hundred seater and the assembly rooms and at the end of it we lost about 12 grand you know maybe maybe a bit more because of the amount of money we spent and it just was one of those things it felt like a mistake you know mm. because we'd done fine the year before you know so we'd done fine without all that stuff the year before so when we then went big i don't know what it was it just didn't quite you know we a lot of the reviewers were like, oh yeah, we reviewed Terry last year, so we're not going to come and see him again. But we did get, we got, you know, we got a five-star review in the Times on the second last day of the Fringe, you oh. know. Um, <laughs> but I think, I don't know what it was, but it ended up costing a lot of money. And that felt like it was a mistake. But what we got out of that was we ended up getting some money from Sky to put together a script. Mm. We got a show on Radio 4, which mm. we used it for a show on Radio 4 that just went on at 6.30. And we learned a lot from the process. So I think we overcame it by clawing some of the money back through commissions. I think it taught us a lesson of, you know, not that not necessarily being the right way to go about it for that type of show. So we decided to absolutely not do a show with Terry again this year because we were working on some other stuff and we were like we won't bother but we really enjoyed it last year and our kids are at that age where they could come and mm. you know and it just was cool so we did a recording in Glasgow for the Radio 4 show about three four five weeks ago and the next morning I got a phone call from David at the Monkey Barrel saying oh we've had a cancellation at six o'clock do you want to come and do a show with Terry so we are doing a show yeah, with I mean, Terry every day at six o'clock but it's a pay what you want bucket show yeah. so it cost us 250 quid for the room Okay. And we've said no press, we've got no posters, we're going to hire a flyer us for two hours before the show, and that's it. And we're going to wait and see. So I think that'd be interesting to see if we, if it, this is probably the show that's going to win the Edinburgh Comedy Award and make us <laughs> 10 grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what back. I mean? Yeah, exactly, make it back. So that was, and then, and then there's probably loads of mistakes, you know. I had a show going for a while that was doing really well and I, that I presented and I did it as a podcast and it was the original sort of lunchtime live. It was it was the Guardian live at the Gilded Balloon podcast and we were doing this in 2008, 2009. It was a lunchtime show, chat show and I hosted it and no one else was doing that 12 years ago, you know, and so and it was a fiver and everybody wanted to come on the show because it was getting hundreds of thousands of downloads back then. And then I kind of sold the idea to Amnesty International and they said they wanted another host to do it. So we kind of, which was fine. So we ended up like with, yeah, just, it was Susan Kalman hosted it. And then the next year we had various hosts and we did it for two years and it was kind of cool. But then Amnesty International ran out of money. So we stopped doing it. And I kind of wish I'd kept going doing that show because I think it would have been, if I had, it'd be like the 10th year of it now. Mm. And we did it in the, we ended up doing it in the underbelly at sort of two o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we sold a lot of tickets. You know, mm. it was one of those things. And everybody wanted to come on it. And I did it for like three years running and it was growing. Mm. And I just think it could have been like Merv stutter you know mm -hmm. Merv stutter it could have become like that but i sold out <laughs> i sold out to those human rights bastards at amnesty <laughs> international we sold out so I, I regret i do regret that but they're not getting a link on my show no, no, that'll take them down a peg yeah yeah absolutely um 
Uh, what? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, what do you wish you were better at? Giving short, succinct answers. So, what do you think you're great at? Um, oh, I think what I'll, I think what I've learned over the years is what I'm good is at gathering together experts and gathering together good people. I don't have any particular discernible skills, but what I do have is I know I can identify brilliant people, get them to work together on projects. I feel like that's the job of a really good producer is mm-hmm. to bring the right people together at the right time to do the right thing. And you know, I think that came to the fore just recently when we were doing this project with Suggs from Madness, and we got. Paul Weller involved to do a little bit of the show and then my friend who I've worked with for years and years called Owen Parker came on and was the musical director and then we went down to the Wilton's uh Music. the Hoxton Hall awesome. in London and um, the Hoxton Hall in London and I brought my team down to record it and then we brought in this fantastic script editor and it just felt like it was a big deal and that felt like the culmination of everything I'd sort of worked towards I almost feel like my job is is like it in a football sense is my I'm like the grounds I just need to make sure that the grass is nice and green and cut well and the lines are painted and mm-hmm. the goal nets are nice and tight and that everybody's ready to play the game um, and that sort of you know what my job is so I think my what I'm good at is bringing the right people together to do the right job what stumbling block have you learned the biggest lesson from you know I think it's the fact that you know rejection and failure is part of the process you know that you you, you know getting knocked back is the is one of the the most important things you know it sounds like a cliche but there is no such thing as failure really you know you just it was just something that didn't quite work at that time mm-hmm. you know so I think it took me a while to learn that but yeah 99% of it of everything that you at first that you try and do goes nowhere but that's what teaches you to keep going and then when you do get that glorious one percent you know you go all right this is why we do this you know Mm -hmm. and then that 99 percent. now we're working at a level where probably 40 or 50 percent of what we set about goes nowhere you know so 40 50 percent of what we set about does go somewhere because we we're better at it you know we and we know what the client wants and we know how to do it and we know partly because most of our business at this point is series two of this series three of Of that series four of that you know so anyway so best bit of advice you've ever been given take risks and seek happiness last question if you could give one bit of advice to a few thousand comedians who want to either create some content or get something made by you know a production house to go forward to a bbc thing what would you say to them well just do it you know i think i think it's like i say this is like we everybody you can make a, a, a podcast on your phone just about you know so i, I don't know it's hell, it's hell to edit yeah <laughs> it's hell to edit yeah I, I mean i don't i think the idea is is you know keep going and keep doing it and keep creating you know and keep you know don't think about it from a commercial point of view don't think about it from a financial point of view think about it from a creative point of view but be prepared to answer the question everything every question that you have is available to be answered online right how do you get a tv show on the bbc google it mm. right read a blog listen mm-hmm. to a podcast go find out how to do it and do it the other thing is that there is nothing in the world that you can't learn right so once you sort of get your head around that i mean heart surgery is probably tricky but you can learn it though you can learn it. i mean i wouldn't YouTube do it off a that. youtube yeah, yeah, tutorial yeah, yeah. but uh, you know the person who does it learnt it they haven't always known how to do it you know so it's like everything you can learn so learn how to do whatever it is you want to do just learn how to do it it would be the funniest 
comedian on the circuit learn how to do it practice it get you know just keep learning you know you can learn how to change a plug you know you can learn how to grow a plant you know so therefore you can learn how to get a tv show commissioned you can learn how to be a better comedian you know you can learn how to you know anything that you want that and then the other thing that freaks me out is that every single thing that you look at at any point ever was at one point somebody's idea so therefore you know just have as many ideas as possible but everything curtain pole sofa cushion table microphone you know go through it mug iphone it was all just somebody's idea once and they realized it so therefore think in that terms what's your idea and if you're shit just stop (laughs) thank you very much for coming on i really appreciate it that was Richard. Having such an open and honest and frank conversation about comedy and how it changes over time, I, I loved it. I, I loved hearing the process of how radio gets made. I can't tell you enough how much I prefer radio editing to anything else right now. I think that's pretty obvious given how much I podcast, but it was it was amazing. I, I listened back over to it a couple of times in the proof, and, I, and if you really sit down and do your research into this, there's actually a very handy guide in there if you want to set up a production company and get started making things for the BBC through your own means. Um, I'm sure, and I hope some of you do actually do that. I'd highly recommend it. It's worth setting up your own thing if you can. It's why there are so many indie small production houses around. Uh, if you like this episode, you might also like the episode with Chris Sussman on the future of TV through BBC Studios, their commercial wing, or the episode with Henry Normal, the co-founder of Baby Cow Productions. They're most famous for everything to do with Steve Coogan, from Alan Partridge to Saxondale to the rest. The Ask the Industry podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet. All elements were created by me, comedian Simon Kane. Thank you very much for listening, thank you very much for subscribing, and thank you very much for rating and donating if you do. I'll see you all in about 14 days' time. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.